Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. James, James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we'll be beginning in verse 21 this evening. And as we continue our study through the book of James this evening, we come to the last few verses of chapter 1. And just to give uh, an idea to this point, it has taken us six messages to get through chapter 1. There are five chapters in the book of James. And so we will move at the speed of faith as we get through this letter. But I believe if we're going to preach through this letter, we need to preach through it at the speed that, uh, that well, God presents to us as we go. We need to cover it thoroughly. And there are a ton of topics and, and thought processes that are weaved into this wonderful book. And I, I do not want to rush through it. So we will, uh, we will be in James for a little while. So James chapter 1, we come to the end of James chapter 1. And to this point, we have examined that this letter is written to Christians. Christians who are enduring persecution. They are scattered uh, throughout, scattered abroad as a result of this persecution, James is writing them this letter and it's an examination of their faith. And so, are you living as a Christian ought to live in this location where you are now, basically, is kind of the, the tone and the tenor of the letter. So in other words, if you're saved, these are the things you're going to do. If you really know God, these are the things that you're going to do. And if you're not living your life in this way, then ask yourself, why? Why are you not living according to the way that you are supposed to be living as a Christian? And so as we dive into these last few verses, we'll recall that last week we looked at the fact that, that part of our test, part of the test of, of being a child of God is seen in how we react to the Word of God. How do we react to the hearing and the teaching of the Word of God in our lives? Do we respond by listening are we, are we swift to hear and really tune in and listen to the Word of God? Uh, are we slow to respond flippantly to what we hear and slow to be argumentative to the Word of God? And are we slow to be angry when the Word of God brushes up against us? So when we hear the Word of God and the Word of God is contrary to the way that we're living our lives, do we respond in anger or do we respond in humility? And that's one of the ways that you can tell whether someone is a child of God or not. And one of the things we need to do to examine ourselves is, how do I respond when I hear the Word of God? When the Word of God tells me something that is contrary to what I'm doing, that's, that's difficult to hear, that is something I don't want it to be, it doesn't jive with where I'm juking, how do I respond? Do I respond in anger? Or do I respond in humility to hearing the Word of God? And so let's stand in honor and reverence to the holy words of God from the book of James chapter 1 beginning in verse 21. And therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. And this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious, but does not bridle his tongue, 
but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Let us pray. Father God, we ask that you would be among us this evening, Lord God. God, we take not for granted that you dwelled with us this morning, and we ask that you would do it again. Bind any spirit from this place that's not your Holy Spirit, Lord God. Allow your word to penetrate our souls, our lives, and our minds, Lord. And it is in your precious name that we do pray, and all God's children said, and you may be seated. We get into verse 21. And James writes here, therefore, is kind of how he starts it. The start of 21 is therefore. Now keep in mind, anytime we see a word like therefore or in as much as or because of, it's kind of like a, a bridge word, okay? So anytime you see therefore, you know that, that it's kind of connecting a series of thoughts. And so James is kind of writing here, and he comes to verse 21 and he says, Therefore, so it's kind of like saying, as a result of what I've already written, as a result of the things I've already told you, read what follows. So in other words, don't, don't start reading here until you've understood what I've already written. It's kind of, kind of where he's coming from. I've written about your attitude in struggles. I've written about your, your attitude in money. I've written about your attitude towards the Word of God. And, and if you don't have these things down, if you haven't listened to this first part of my letter, it's not time for you to move on to the next part of my letter because it's, it's not really going to be applicable to you until you've examined yourself against these first 20 verses. So he's saying essentially, in light of what you've already got, then let's read on and let's move forward. And so he's talking about, you know, in light of all these things, in, in light of your attitudes, in light of your responses, in light of who you are as believers, in light of how you respond, where you're at now, then I want you to move aside. And what I want you to do is lay aside your sinfulness, lay aside your filthiness, and lay aside your wickedness. Lay aside these things that come from your nature of sin because that's what it is that, that wells up inside us from the natural man. He's saying we have to learn how to lay these things aside because those are what are going to be natural to us. Our overflow of wickedness is literally a term that kind of refers to the fact that because of what it is, it's kind of just what spills out and oozes out of us. It's kind of scary, isn't it, to think of that's how we are, how we are, and how we've fallen in this world, that kind of what comes out of us, our overflow, is wickedness. And so he's kind of, in other words, saying, because you're born sinful, your natural overflow is going to be sin. But you have to lay that natural man aside and receive the word of God in your humility and your meekness. And so you could say that James is writing here basically, come to the hearing of the word of God in humility. Because a believer is going to be slow to respond to that word in anger. And when you hear it, it's going to cause you to then do some things different. Does that make sense? He just talked about hearing the word of God. And he says, therefore, as a result of hearing it, move forward differently than you were when you heard it. Now, hang on, let that sink in for a minute. Because I think too often we skip that, particularly as good church folks. 
Because we're the good church folks, right? I'm preaching, let's just be honest. I am preaching to the crowd of people at Rocky Valley Baptist Church who came not only on a Sunday night, but on a Sunday night of Labor Day weekend. All right, I'm, I'm preaching to some good church folk. I'm preaching to the choir, you might say. And yet I'm turning around and preaching a word that says, as a result of being slow to anger when you hear from the word of God, when you hear the word of God proclaimed, you're going to have to acknowledge that some things are going to change in your life. There's going to be some change needed. There's going to be some change necessary. And yes, I'm talking to the good church folk that come on Sunday night before Labor Day. There's change that's going to be needed in your lives when you hear the Word of God proclaimed. If you are swift to hear it, you're going to hear things that you're going to recognize are not proper in your lives. You know that no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how long you've lived your life, if you hear the Word of God proclaimed, you're going to realize a couple of things. One, I I am woefully short of what I am supposed to be. And if I'm going to become more Christ-like, it's going to take some change in my life. I may be a far cry better than I was, but I'm nowhere near what I need to be. That's kind of the idea that we're looking at. Back in verse 15, James wrote, he says, Inside of you is a nature of sin. That when you give into that desire to sin, it gives birth to this sin and it gives birth then unto death. And then here in verse 21, he starts to say something differently. He starts to say that receive it with the implanted word which is able to what? Save your souls. So he kind of has a stark contrast there. From verse 15, he's talking about sin and death. In verse 21, he's talking about being saved and having our souls set apart. And so if verse 15 brings death, verse 21 brings life. What was that thing that he was talking about in the middle? He was talking about the word of God. He was talking about the Word of God. If we don't heed to the Word of God, it breeds death. When we heed to the Word of God, it is able to save our souls. And so I believe we kind of have this twofold representation going on here. One, that obedience to the Word of God will keep a believer from sin. You remember what we said when we went through verse 15 a few weeks ago? We said that, that one of the, the results of death, and it can be that in the believer's life, when they give in to the temptation of sin, that oftentimes a believer will do things that may result in physical death. We used an example of, of someone who slips into temptation and gets behind the wheel of a vehicle after having had too many drinks. They may very well have, a, have an accident and, and kill themselves have, and be, be you know, deceased as a result of that. It doesn't mean that they weren't a believer necessarily. It means that they slipped into temptation and there could be a physical death that comes from it. And so we, we do see that here in, in verse 21, I think there is this suggestion that if we heed to the word of God and we avoid that sin that breeds death, then it's able to save our souls. It's able to stop us from heading down a road that we don't need to head down. But I think also there's a suggestion that if we are slaves to our sin, if we are slaves to our sin debt, if we are honestly examining ourselves according to what we are supposed to as we read through this letter that we may very well find that occasionally there are those who would be walking through this life carrying the name of Christian who upon examination would have to say, I'm still a slave to my sin. I still have a, a debt of sin, not just a, a tendency to fall into sin as a believer, but I have not been forgiven of my sins. I've never been saved. And we learned that the word of God is what can bring about that eternal life. 
How can they be saved unless they hear the word of God? And how can they hear the word of God unless someone preaches it, right? And so we find that that's kind of this, this twofold representation. Yes, it could be talking about a believer slipping into sin and the punishment that comes along with that. But it could also, and, and I think most likely James is telling us to examine yourselves because the thing that will keep you from spiritual death is salvation. It, it's Jesus Christ. That's the thing that will save your soul. And you only come to know Christ through the word of God. And so he says the word that brings life will cause you to be a doer of the word. Verse 22 He says, once you hear this word that's able to save your souls, you're going to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. So what in the world does that even mean? So keep in mind, the audience is those who call themselves brothers, those who call themselves Christian. And and it's really written to the unrepentant or or the openly uh, brothers. Excuse me. It's not really written. getting twisted. Not really written to the openly unrepentant or non-believer. It's written to the Christian, those who would be receptive to hear the word of God. These are the people who would say, if you, if you ask in a series of people, they would say, yes, I'm a Christian. This is not written to the people who, if you said, hey, do you know the Lord? They would go, oh, no, 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 I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in God. It's not written to that group of people. And so he's writing and he says, I'm writing to the people that when they say, I know the Lord, they, they would raise up and they would say, I identify with the church. I identify as a Christian. And so they would be receptive to hear the word of God. They would be receptive to to coming to church. They would be receptive to going to the meeting. They would be receptive to hearing the, the preached word. And they wouldn't be against it. They'd be okay to hear it. And James says, just hearing the word though, is not really a sign that you know the Lord. Because if you know the Lord, you're not only going to hear it, But you're going to do it. It's going to take root in your life and it's going to cause you to do something. And so how do you identify a true believer? They'll hear the word of God. They'll change as a result of hearing the word of God. And he says someone who merely hears the word but doesn't respond to it is like a man observing himself in a mirror. Now this word for observe is an intent study or to gaze upon And so it's like a man who would look at himself in his natural face in the mirror really, really hard, really, really study. It's kind of like Brother Danny when he gets dressed in the morning. He spends a lot of time gazing at his face in the mirror. Too bad he doesn't do more work while he's looking. But but seriously, it's it's this imagery that he's writing, James is is saying. It's like a man who would look in the mirror in such a way that he would remember every contour. You know, he would look at it so intently that he would recognize the dimples. He'd recognize the cheekbones. He'd recognize the lines in the forehead. He would gaze at it in such a way that he would really remember everything about it, but then walks away and goes back to doing his own thoughts about himself. So in other words, he would look at himself and say, oh man, I've got, I've got lines in my forehead and my cheeks are chubbier than they used to be and, and this isn't great. And then turn around and the second he looks away from the mirror go, I am the best looking man. I look like I'm half my age. Right? He completely forgot. I should have used a different example, shouldn't I? Uh, he completely forgot what he saw in the mirror, 
Right? So he, he looked at it, he remembered it, and then walked away and completely forgot. He says, somebody that hears the Word of God and isn't changed by it, it is that way. They look at the Word of God, right? We said they were, they were willing to hear the Word of God. They identified as Christians. And so they said, he said, it's like that man. You, you hear it. You're sitting here and you hear the Word of God and you, and you seem to think that while you sit here, you intently hear, you look like someone who's hearing the Word of God. You look like someone that's paying attention to it. But then you turn around, you walk out the door, you get in your car, and you completely forget everything that was just preached. You completely forget what was taught in your Sunday school class. You completely forget what you found in your time of Bible study. And so they don't look at themselves through the, the lens of the Word of God, they go back to looking at themselves through their own lens of how they want to see themselves. He says, for a true disciple of Christ, that's unacceptable. You'll look at yourself through the lens of the Word and say, am I being changed? Am I doing the things that I am hearing from the Word of God? And so what does a disciple do when they look at the Word of God? According to verse 25, they call it the perfect law of liberty. I love that phrasing, considering who he's writing to. How does a lost person see the Word of God? They look at it and they see all these rules, don't they? You ever talk to anybody who's not saved and how they view the Word of God? They say, well, I don't know how y'all have any fun, Christian. Well, I don't know how y'all have a good time. Well, y'all have that big old book. It is full of rules and all the things that I'm not supposed to do. And, and you, you talk about going to church. And I like to watch football on Sunday. And you talk about doing this and doing that. And I like to do what I like to do. And if I'm going to get saved, i got to go by all them rules of that Bible. Friends, did y'all have fun this morning? You I can have fun in church. I have a lot of fun in church. And my head don't hurt nearly as bad with the fun that I have in church compared to how it used to when I was a young man. See, the, a lost person looks at the Word of God and says, oh man, that's, that's that divine rule book. You got that smiter of smiters up in heaven waiting to put his finger on me and burn me up. But a Christian looks at the Word of God and sees the freedom of the law of liberty. That's what that law of liberty is, literally the law of of freedom. We see the Word of God and we say, in spite of how bad I am naturally, Christ died for me anyway. In spite of how bad I tend to be, Jesus loved me anyway. And so we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as a result of our salvation, and we no longer have to obey God. We get to obey God. Isn't that cool? Maybe I'm the only person that sees the Word of God that way. But sometimes when I'm looking at the Bible through the week and I begin to look at it, it doesn't look so much like the Aflac handbook that they handed me when I went to work with Aflac that said how I was supposed to act. Suddenly it looks like a divine book of promises. A divine book of not, not punishments that I'm going to get if I don't do this, but more things that, that I get to enjoy as a result of Jesus Christ and what He did for me. And so we hear in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 17, he says, when you know these things, blessed are you who do them. So if you hear the Word of God and respond by doing something with it, by changing your lifestyle or changing your life or, or doing differently when the Word of God brushes against you, then you'll be blessed for responding to the Word of God in obedience. So James kind of opens up a can of worms in verse 26, though. He says, the person that doesn't bridle his tongue is deceived, and his religion is useless. 
Now keep in mind, this letter is written to remind them how they ought to look, how they ought to act as a result of the saving faith in Jesus Christ. And he said, the one who can't bridle his tongue deceives himself. And so I believe this is written to all those who were hearers only here. I believe that James is saying, if you've been reading this letter up to this point, if you've been reading this letter up till now, and you've recognized that you just hear the word of God, but it doesn't cause you to do anything in your life, then you need to be how you're careful with, with how you operate in terms of your profession of faith. In other words, you don't need to be putting your faith all in the, the, the basket of the fact that you say you're a Christian. You, you don't need to deceive yourself by thinking that by merely raising your hand when they ask who all in here has accepted Jesus, that that all of a sudden, just because you raise your hand and say you're a part of the group, it doesn't necessarily mean that anything has changed in your life. Now, I'm not, I am by no means on this Sunday evening trying to preach a, a fear message that makes people question their salvation. That's not what I want to do this evening. I, I've never been one to stand and do that very often. But I am going to say that when the Word of God says that we need to examine ourselves, we do need to examine ourselves. And we need to look at ourselves. We need to say, what am I putting my faith in? And I'm putting my faith in the fact that I'm examining myself against the Word of God. Have I got a real relationship with Jesus Christ? Am I responding in trials the way I'm supposed to? Do I look at my possessions the way I'm supposed to? Do I hear the Word of God the way I'm supposed to? Am I responding to the Word of God the way I'm supposed to? Am I doing these things the way I am supposed to? Or am I walking, going through the motions, putting all of my faith in my profession that I did when I raised my hand and said that I was a member of the church? In other words, how has it changed your life? And, and quite frankly, it scares me to death sometimes when I hear people's testimony and all that they can tell me about their testimony is how one time they prayed a prayer. But nothing changed in their life. They can't tell me what happened as a result? And I think I've shared this story before, but it fits so well. John MacArthur, the great, uh, great book writer and theologian and, and writes all kinds of study Bibles and everything else, but he has a, he has a great story about a man who came into his church and, and he had been there a little while and he invited him to lunch. And while they were at lunch, the man began to tell him, he's like, listen, I didn't just invite you to lunch because I wanted to eat lunch with you. I wanted to tell you about something that happened. And he says, Pastor John, the other morning before church when I was shaving, Jesus walked into my bathroom. And obviously John MacArthur looked at him strangely and kind of cocked his head, I guess, because the man said, I can tell you don't believe me. And John MacArthur said, wait a minute before you go any further. So I want to just ask you one question. He said, what did you do after Jesus walked into your bathroom? And the man said, well, I finished shaving. He said, well, stop. Because there's no way you'd still be doing the same thing after you saw Jesus as you were before you saw Jesus. And that is what I want us to do. And I think that's why James is writing this letter to the, to the Christians persecuted and scattered abroad. I don't have the authority, nor do I desire to ever have the authority to, to make the claim as to whether or not someone is a child of God. But I do think it's important that as children of God, we ask ourselves, is my life different as a result of being a child of God? What has changed? What is different 
And if we can't put our finger on what is different, we need to examine what have we been doing since that day. Because I can promise you Jesus Christ has been there. And if you were truly a child of God, you would long to be nearer to Him. And so you don't need to put your faith in the basket of, a, of some confession. You have to put your faith in the fruit that is a result of that confession. And you need to be careful because just saying that you're a Christian is useless. Quite frankly, it is useless. Maybe even more dangerous than saying you're an atheist. Because at least the atheist is willing to, to, to sit there and make a stand. But those who would say that they're Christians and aren't are, are treading on that dangerous ground. He says their religion is useless. And then he goes on. He says your speech will be different. You need to bridle your tongue. You don't need to be deceived in your heart. And he says pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To visit the orphans and widows in their trouble... And to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And so we close out chapter 1. And he says, one of the things you'll do if you're a child of God is that you'll visit. But that word visit is really not strong enough in the English. It would be more that you would keep or tend to. He's saying literally, if you're a child of God, you'll tend to the orphans and the widows. Now I think, one, he's talking about the fatherless. And, and the ones who were left without their husbands. But it's even broader than that. Because when he would mention that class, the orphan and the widow, he's literally referring to the most helpless class in that society. Because everything was based on land givings and care givings and all of those things would have been based on the husband. And so when the husband passed away, suddenly the wife was left and she, she didn't really have anything except for the care that the church would give to her or that the other members of the family would give to her. The orphans would be the same way. They're left without their caretaker. And so he's saying literally here, true and undefiled religion before God. Those who truly love God, those who are truly children of God, will care for those who cannot care for themselves. They'll take care of the lowest in the society. They won't look down upon them. They'll scoop them up and make sure that they're taken care of. And so he's saying, what is your attitude towards those in need? Because that attitude towards those in need will be an indication of your standing with Jesus Christ. And so how, how do we respond to this? How do we respond to these few verses tonight? Well, same with, with every message in the book of James so far? I think we have to ask ourselves but one question. Am I living according to the word of God? And if I am not, why? Why? Why am I not living according to the word of God? Because that's a question that is of paramount importance that I think we need to ask ourselves regularly as believers. If I'm not responding to the word of God in love and in truth, what's wrong with my attitude? Because the word of God is true and it is love and it is the same today as it was yesterday and it'll be the same a hundred years from now as it is today. And so what is my problem if I'm not responding to the word of God properly? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you so much. God, we thank you for your word. 
And God, we pray that we would examine ourselves and ask ourselves these questions. Why am I not living according to your word? And God, that, that if we are living in obedience to your word, that we would strive to draw even nearer to you, Lord God. God, we thank you for what you do in our lives. And we will give you the honor, the glory, and the praise that you are due because you are worthy. And it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.